Hi, this is Rob Cartledge, and we are doing a study through the book of Ephesians. You can visit me at www.robcartledge.com. We're continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be finishing chapter 4 today. So there's only going to be two chapters left to complete it. And also in the, in the future, we're going to be completing the Colossian study, which I started even before the Ephesian study, which I think we're up to about chapter 3 or no, part of chapter 2 to go or something like that. So we'll be doing that as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and it says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's what we're going to get through today, just to complete chapter 4. So a quick overview of, of this chapter. You have verse 25, where it tells us that we should reject falsehood. Verse 26, that we should reject anger. Verse 27 says that we should reject the devil. Verse 28 says that we should reject theft. Uh, Verse 29 says that we should reject unwholesome talk. Verse 30 says that we we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, uh, and we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31 tells us that we should reject all bad attitudes. And verse 32 is that we should be kind and forgiving like God. It's a list of things that we should not do, that we should we should say no to. So we're going to have another one of those sort of sermons where we're talking about sin and and the things that we should reject in our life. So I know I've done quite a few of those of late, but it seems to be where we're up to in the book of Ephesians. So we'll just keep going with that. Rejecting falsehood. Ephesians 4.25, and I'm drawing from the Amplified because it just gives us so much more. It says, Therefore, rejecting all falsity, And being done now with it, so everything that is false, that we reject all falsity, let everyone express the truth with his neighbour, for we are all parts of one body and members of one another. We're all members. We're all part of the same body and we're members of one another. That means we all belong to each other. If we're truly in Christ, then we're truly in each other as well, in, in the sense that we belong to each other and our concerns should be for one another. And our concern for each other should be greater than our concern for ourselves. You know, that's where the true friends would lay their life down. You know, Jesus was the true friend. He laid his life down for us so that we wouldn't suffer eternal condemnation. So he was a true friend. And in a sense, we've got to be like that for each other. So Paul here encourages believers to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to each other. You know, it's very easy to be false in this life, isn't it? Don't you think? You know, you look at the world, you look at all these, uh, all the celebrities, all the people that are role models in this life, a lot of them are false. What you see and the way they portray themselves themselves on, on the big screen or on, on TV or in their 
you know, when you go to a rock concert, is not who they really are. They, they come across as these, like, superhumans, people just with incredible gifts and, and all this sort of stuff. But in real life, they're nothing of the sort. So we're bombarded with all this false uh, personas that are pushed on us continuously in this world. And what we tend to do is we can end up putting on a false persona as well. We can be people that we aren't really as well. You know, um, just last night I picked up my daughter from a party and I'm looking at all the way the girls are dressing and stuff and I'm just going, man, that's so false. They're trying to be someone they're not. They're trying to be sex symbols. Every single one of them are trying to look better than the next. You know, she wears a skirt that short, I'm going to wear it even shorter and I'm going to wear it even shorter than that, you know what I mean? And they're so false and they don't even know who they are anymore. And a lot of the time they end up washed up in their mid-twenties and they just wish that they had just come to a realisation of the truth earlier. But, you know, we've, we as Christians know better, don't we? We don't have to put on falsities. We have to allow Christ to outwork through us. We've got to allow Christ to speak through us. We've got to be Christ to the people. Now, that's not being false. That's us dying to self and allowing Christ to live through us. So any good you see coming out of me, anything good that you would hear from my mouth is not Rob. That's Christ living through me. The less of Rob, the less of me I can get in my, in, in my ministry, the better it is for Jesus because then Jesus can outwork through me. So ultimately there will be a day hopefully where there will be none of Rob and all of Christ. You know, that's my ultimate ambition is to just completely be not there in the picture. Because as soon as I get in there, I mess everything up. As soon as I stick my ugly head in there, <laughs> Jesus, if I look good looking, it's because of Christ. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, we've, we've really got to be conscious of this. Is Christ living through you? Or are you being false? Are you trying to be someone you're not? Too many times we allow lies and deceit to trickle into our churches. I've seen it in so many churches that all this deceit and lies start to trickle in. And this is dangerous to the body of Christ because it can destroy churches. And once that starts to happen, it's like an infection, a wound that starts to fester and get worse and worse and worse. You know it in in between friendships. If you've ever had a close friend um, and something comes between you and lies start to get, you know, spoken back and forth between you, you know it's not going to be long before that friendship is destroyed. You might not realise it at the time. You're trying to save the friendship by the lies, but there's deceit in between you. And it's not long before that friendship is destroyed or it's never the same again. And you know that as in just a friendship. Now, how much more in a church if that starts to take place? You know what I mean? So we've got to always be very, very honest and open with each other because uh, this lies and falsities and... and um, Uh, Deceit is very, very dangerous. And it's also an abomination to God the Father. When he sees that sort of stuff, he hates it. He can't look on a church like that. He can't look on a people that act like that. So we've got to be very aware of that sort of thing taking place. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, "When, When angry, so when you are angry, it's like saying, you know, when you do get angry, who know who's been angry in their life? Everyone here? Yeah, we've all been angry, haven't we? So it says, when you're angry, don't sin. That's a hard one. Maybe that's a translational error. I don't know. But when you're angry, don't sin. 
Do not ever let your wrath, which is your exasperation, which is a feeling of intense irritation and annoyance, uh, your fury or your indignation, and your indignation is anger and annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. If you feel like you're unfairly treated, don't let that wrath last until the sun goes down. What happens if the sun's already gone down and then you're in that situation, you know? So it's not saying until the sun goes down as in... It's a literal time. It's a time period he's talking about. So if it happens, don't let many hours go by before you correct things. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil and do not give him an opportunity. You know, so we can't let the devil have an opportunity to come in. Because if you let that anger, that resentment and that wrath fester, it will destroy a relationship. I know, we know that many, many relationships in the world... You know, we've got the highest divorce rate in the history of the world now, in the world, in this world. And, and a lot of it is because they do not... When the sun goes down, they're still angry. And then uh, six months go by, they're still angry. They don't let go of their anger. And you can imagine what that causes inside a person. That causes... I believe it's the root of a lot of sicknesses, cancers, heart attacks, stresses, ulcers, you know, headaches... Nausea, all of that comes from letting that stuff fester inside us. So if we just obey the Bible, resolve it. Resolve it, get over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Build a bridge and get over it. Yeah. hate that saying. <laughs> <laughs> but in a way, we've we got to. This is a real checkpoint for many of us in this day and age. We are all so wound up that we find it so easy to crack. Who finds it easy to crack? Sometimes you just get, you get so wound up, you don't even know why. You just get up, you feel like just something's going to explode inside you, like a pressure cooker, and you just got to release some steam somehow. You know, I don't have that experience every day or anything, but I do have it. You know what I mean? We do have those times, that pressure. But in the process, when we crack, when we release our wrath, we sin. And I know I sin when I release that pressure. Do you know what I'm saying? But in a sense, what we should be doing, if I was wise enough at the time and if we are all wise enough, we would go into our room, we'd get on our knees and say, God, help me. God, help me. This is not worth it. Let's resolve this quick. So I'm big on resolutions as fast as possible. We've got to resolve the issue, and that's the thing. We've always got to go in and forgive each other, hug each other before the sun goes down. And if it's already gone down, don't wait till the next sun down. Go in straight away. Before it comes up, <laughs> before the sun goes up. But it is important to note that we are told to let it not last long and restore relations with whoever we got angry or whoever got us angry or repent of it in the case of people we cannot restore with, like someone you might have had a road rage with, you know, a bit of anger expressed on the road and you want to beat someone up because they did something so badly, you know what I mean? And then you have to repent to God because you can't go and find that person. And, you know, and ask for forgiveness. So you've got to repent to God in the case of that. So in doing this, the devil does not get a foothold, and that's the key. You don't want the devil to have his way in your life. Because it tells us if we allow these things to fester in us, if we allow them to hang around, the devil gets in. And that's why relationships break down fast. That's why there's so, such a high divorce rate. Because they don't let go of their anger. They don't resolve it before sundown. The devil gets in and starts making a mess of their life. You know? I know one couple, they uh, married, 
biggest wedding around, big 350-person wedding. Uh, got given a house, everything, handed to them, laid on them. And within six months, they're divorced. Or they're separated, divorced within a year. And you just think, what went on? How did that last like that? They had everything. That proves that material possessions doesn't, isn't going to make a marriage work well. You know, it's because they obviously held things and they couldn't let go. They held them and held them and held them. Also, Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let the thief steal no more. Now, remember, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church, Christians. And you guys who used to, used to steal, don't steal anymore. Just rewinding you. You know, because when you're not a Christian, it's easy to just steal things. Mm. You know, a little thing. You know, oh, there's 20 bucks on that table there. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's the and if you if you were trained in that from young, as in it's just just how you grew up. You grew up stealing. If things were lying around, you take them. You know, and that's really the culture of this world. If if no one sees you do it, it's nothing wrong with doing it. If you can get away with it, go for it. You know, so many people steal, and a lot of people that come to Christ once used to steal a lot, and maybe just like any other addiction, that's hard to break. Giving up stealing is hard to do. You know, someone who comes to the Lord who was an alcoholic might still struggle with alcoholism. Someone who comes who's a thief still struggles with being a thief. You know, at church and the offering goes past and he pretends to put 20 in, but he really takes 20 out. You know, things like that. So, so Paul's acknowledging this. He can see this. He says, let the thief steal no more, but rather let him be industrious. Or the, the NIV says, let him get to work. Get to work. Stop stealing. There's no pleasure in stealing. You know what? You get the money and you go, you just feel empty because you know it's not yours. Mm. You know someone's going without and you've just caused grief and pain to that person from doing it and now you're sitting at home with your money. There's no pleasure in it and God will make sure there's no pleasure in it. God will make sure you can't enjoy that stolen cash or that stolen jewellery or that stolen anything. It's going to be empty. It's going to be an empty existence until you stop stealing, get to work, do something useful, be industrious. Then you'll feel good when you're sitting at home with a thousand bucks on the table. I earn that. There's something good about earning your own money, isn't there? When you earn it, it feels good. I work really hard and it's mine and now I can provide. And then it says this, let him be industrious, making an honest living with his hands. An honest living. There's nothing better in life than to earn money honestly and, and to do it and, and to provide with that money. And it says here, so that he may be able to give to those in need, whether it be your family who's in need. You might have a family that's going hungry. Make some money. Provide. Look after them. Amen? You know, you might have a situation like we have with Pastor John. And he's got 70 orphans and 40 widows he's trying to look after in India. Let's, let's be industrious. Let's, let's earn money so we can look after these guys. Let's look after these people in India. You know, and give to those in need. And if we can make plenty and we give a portion and it blesses someone, that is such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Who feels good when they give away a gift that really blesses someone? Mm-hmm. Who's had that experience? It's a great feeling, isn't it, to give? As, as Steph prayed, you know, that a thank you for allowing us to give. Thank you. It's a blessing to be able to give. It is. 
Theft is a real problem for many. There is a deep-rooted belief in humans that if you don't get caught, it's okay. However, as Christians living in the fear of God, we know we are caught. We are caught. Everyone who's ever stolen in this life is caught. Busted, red-handed. And guess what? God's got a big video screen in heaven. <laughs> Here you are doing it. And it's definitely you because we can get a close-up of your face. So, you know, none of this, have you seen this person? God knows who it is. <laughs> There's no getting away with it. We are encouraged to be industrious, to get to work so that we will have plenty and be able to give to those in need, the poor and the destitute, or as I said, our families, or, you know, whoever's in need. If you have a, a friend who's in need, de- a s- sincere need. You know, you don't want people coming and just borrowing for the sake of borrowing because you look like a, a pushover. Or if they need to buy drugs. Yeah, yeah, you don't support someone who's going to go off and use it for drug money, yeah. But you definitely, it is a good thing when you can see a need and without them even asking you, acknowledge a need and say, here, I'll help you. But don't tell anyone. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing because it's treasure in the kingdom. We don't go and announce it with trumpets. Mm-hmm. Treasure in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right, Ephesians 4.29, let no foul or polluting language. So now he's getting into how we speak. Is there more swearing and cursing in this time in history than ever before? Look, I, I know, and... Um, you know, I remember back as a kid, pa- parents used to swear and the, uh, the adults used to swear, but I don't think it was ever this bad, blatantly bad. You watch a movie and you just, it's shocking. You've got to get the young ones out of the room because it's so bad. You've got to get yourself out of the room as well because it's just really, really corrupting. There's a lot of swearing. And listen to the language that uh, Paul uses here through the Amplified that's brought the Greek out. Let no foul or polluting language. Is pollution good for the earth? Well, you know how pollution can destroy a beautiful stream, you know, or it can destroy a landscape. You know, if you if a factory is built in a certain area and you know pollution comes out and just kills everything. You know, our words that come out of our mouth can pollute and destroy a lot of good things. You know, in the same way, so polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome words that un- are unwholesome. If they're not going to, you know, bring life, bring something good to some somebody, we shouldn't use those words. Uh, worthless talk, and we should never let them ever come out of our mouths. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others as is fitting to the need and the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace or God's favour to those who hear it. So our words, everything that comes out of our mouth is meant to bless people, is meant to encourage them, build them up, give them grace, or we're meant to have grace and be graceful to them. And it's got to be fitting. Everything's got to be fitting. We've got to be very careful with our speech because every word that comes out of our mouth has an impact on people around us, especially when they know you're Christian. They pay extra special attention to your words. Even though they don't judge each other, and they can speak the worst language possible, but all they're going to wait for is just one little thing from us and they're going to jump down our throat or at least behind our back, you know what I mean, and spread a bad reputation about you. So our words are paramount. We've got to choose them very, very carefully. So how many of us fall prey to worthless talk? Do you find yourself falling into that? 
a few old mates come around, sit down with you and start gabbling on garbage and next thing you know you're sort of in it and you're sort of playing along with it a bit, you know. I do. But Paul is making it clear that our speech must be a blessing and give grace to those who hear it. We've got to bless each other. Every word out of our mouths has got to lift people up. And if they're speaking profanely, they've got to feel ashamed when they're around us because they'll hear that we're not joining in with that and we'll speak, you know, a speech that is wholesome and building up. And if they try to speak that rubbish, they'll feel the difference and they won't want to speak like that. And we've noticed, and I'm sure sure you've all started to slowly notice that people speak different around you. Mm. With with their other mates, they'll swear their mouths off. Come and be with you, they won't swear at all. You know what I mean? So that's a good thing if that's taking place. If it's not and people come and start swearing around you, just say, excuse me, can you not swear around me? I love talking to you, but please, we don't need that extra bit of language there. And it straight away it snaps into attention. They look at you like, is this guy for real? But then if they are a true friend, they'll honour you in that. Ephesians 4.30, and it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend or vex or sadden him by whom you were sealed, marked, branded as God's own secured. So you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You were branded, you were marked in the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit came into you, it's like he, the Holy Spirit came upon you and you were sealed. And the reason, the way you know you had the Holy Spirit is because you cannot even say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you can say Jesus is Lord, God, at the right hand of the Father, you have the Holy Spirit. That's the guarantee. And because of that, you're sealed for the day of redemption, which is when you're redeemed from this earth and you receive eternal life. And final, a final deliverance through Christ, the final deliverance, meaning the obviously the resurrection, through Christ and delivered from evil. You're delivered from evil and the consequences of sin. What are the consequences of sin? One word. Hell. Hell, eternal death. Yes. The Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved because it says here, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If, If you're walking with a friend and you say something to them and they get grieved... They, they depart from you, don't they? Or you might not see them for a while. Now, you don't want to do that to God. You don't want to grieve God by your words. You say something and, and God just, or by the Holy Spirit, just goes, okay, if you're going to continue in this attitude, I'm out of here. We cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is an interesting point. Is all of these things are said in the Bible. Paul lists off the things that as Christians we've got to stop doing and the things that we should do in place of those things. And the things that we should do are always so beautiful in comparison. Right? Why do you think he lists those sins? Why do you think he lists these things that, that Paul and Peter and Jesus had lists? They spoke of things that we used to do or we still do and we shouldn't do. The reason is, is this. If we didn't have those lists and we didn't have the Bible to you know, reveal these lists of things to us, we wouldn't know if we did wrong to the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't know when we, if we were doing them still, we couldn't say, hey, the Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible tells us not to drink heavily, you know, so I shouldn't drink heavily. Even though it's there in the Bible, the Christians still do it. The Bible tells us not to be sexually immoral, yet Christians still do it because they don't read the Bible and take that literally. The Bible says not to be involved in pharmakeia. That's the Greek word, which means drug-taking. Pharmacy. Yeah, pharmacy. Yet, Christians still do it. It says not to let any unwholesome talk and foul language and polluting language come out of your mouth. Yet, 
Christians still do it. It's in the Bible. And then I get accused of being legal, a legalist by people on the internet who think you're teaching a works-based salvation. Oh, really? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith and grace and not by works. Salvation. Evidence of that salvation being in you, that you are walking in that salvation, is that you will obey the lists. That's grace to us, that he's given us these lists that we would acknowledge and obey. That's not works. That's just part of the package of grace. And this is what the, the Christians of the, of the modern day don't quite get it. You know? Now, what happens if you plan to, and you repent, so I'm never going to speak bad again or say unwholesome language again. And the next thing you say unwholesome language or use unwholesome language, which is like swearing or something like that. What happens then? What, what have we also got the grace to do? Repent. We have the grace of repentance. It's a gift from God. Repentance is called a gift. It's a free gift. It's like here. You don't have to work your butt off now to get saved. All you have to do is come back to me and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness and I'll forgive you freely. Without charge, I'll forgive you. But once you've asked for forgiveness, do everything in your power not to do that again. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because if we don't repent, if we do those bad things and we, re- and we don't repent because we think we've only had need to repent once, which many Christians think is one repentance and never have to repent again, guess who we grieve when we continue to do the sinful things? The Holy Spirit. And it says the Holy Spirit departs. So we wonder why the Christian life gets harder and harder and harder to live. So Paul also points out that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, branded and secured for the day of redemption. And Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing our inheritance, which is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is our inheritance, until the redemption and to the redemption of those who are God's possession. So God's possession are us, and until we are redeemed. And redeemed means brought up to be with him. Amen? So that Holy Spirit is going to stay with us until that time, and he will stay with us for eternity, but he will see us through this time. Isn't that good to know? You're not alone. You're not travelling through this life trying to be a good Christian in your own power. You're living in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will enable you to travel through. So you don't have to stress, oh, how am I going to obey all these lists that Paul and Jesus and Peter and all that list off? Well, easy. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Trust in him. And you know what? We, each and every one of us have, have the law written on the tablets of our heart. That means you just know right from wrong. You know, you, can, you know when you're about to do something wrong that you know it's really wrong. You know what I mean? So you just trust that. And through in, in 99% of the cases, you will avoid all forms of evil from just trusting your heart, knowing that this is definitely wrong. All right, so we are delivered. Therefore, do not sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20, it says, Do you not know, and this is important for us to hear this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Your bodies are members of Christ. So shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? 
And this is why a sex outside of marriage is also wrong in the eyes of God. Because once you've had sex outside of marriage, you've united yourself with a person that's not going to be your, the partner that you're going to have for life. And you become one with them. And there's all sorts of spiritual implications that take place once you've, you've done that. It's luggage that you carry through in, in your life. And it affects all your future relationships. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So all the other sins we commit are outside of our body, but sexual sins are against us inside, in our bodies. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Your body is a temple. You know, a temple is like a building, you know, where you go and worship God. You are that temple now. You're a walking, living, flesh temple. And that temple now is to glorify God. So you've got to remember that, that if you're going to, you know, unite that temple with someone else, you know, you're sinning against the temple of God. That's like, um, you know, sacrilege. So do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Again, you're not your own. You don't own yourself any longer. You're, you're, the, you're owned by God who created you, and rightly so. You know, doesn't the one who creates something have a right to own that thing? You know what I mean? If, if we create something for the use in our house, we have a right to use it in our house. If I create a table... We're in our house. We have every right to own that table. That table can't say, hey, you don't own me. Oh, really? I made you. If you don't think I own you, look at this big axe table. <laughs> not that tables talk or anything. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Amen? Reject all bad attitudes. These are the last couple of screens. Reject all bad attitudes. Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness. Now, the list in NIV is a little bit shorter than this, but I'm just going to quickly go through this. Let, let all bitterness and indignation. Indignation is anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment, as I said earlier. So let all bitterness and indignation and wrath, which is in brackets passion, rage, bad temper, and resentment, which is anger and animosity, which is strong hostility, and also quarrelling, which is brawling, clamour and contention. Now, clamour is a loud and confused noise, especially that of people shouting vehemently, and vehemently is showing strong feelings, forceful passion, intense. So that's like, you know, rioting, that sort of stuff. Contention is a heated disagreement. So that's all what quarrelling is. And also slander. Now look at the slander. You've got evil speaking, which is coming from our mouths, and evil speaking is speaking about someone behind their back. That's a form of slander. Also, when you abuse someone, that's a form of slander. And also blasphemous language, which is against God, is also a form of slander. You know, behind someone's back or to their face or behind or about God. And let all of that stuff be banished from you with all malice, which is spite, ill will, and baseness of any kind. And baseness I looked up as well, which is a lack of moral principles. If you live a base life, you lack any moral principles whatsoever. And we are probably living in the most base world around where moral principles are out the door, you know. Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? I'll, I'll decide what's right and wrong. And then you wonder why there's so much rape and murder and... and 
you know, slander and anger and, you know, resentment and, and uh, rioting and all this sort of stuff. It's all because of the base world we live in. So this list of negative attitudes which we are to deal with is all-encompassing. It encompasses all, all those negative attitudes that come, can come out of a man. Paul tells us here to banish or forbid it, abolish it, get rid of all these attitudes from our life. If any of these attitudes speak to you, you've got to deal with them. You've got to ask God to help you to be rid of them. And here we go. This is the, what I call the trump. When this trumps all of that stuff. Ephesians 4.32, and it says, And become useful and helpful. So we've got to become useful, people that can be used by God. We've got to become helpful to each other, you know, kind to one another, tender-hearted, which means compassionate, understanding, uh, with a loving heart. We've got to have a loving heart. You know, if you meet someone with a loving heart, they're always reaching out to you. Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? You know, they're always full of uh, compliments. You know, you look lovely today, you know. You're just trying to reach people, not, not insincerely, but sincerely. So if you don't feel you have that sort of a heart, ask God, give me a loving heart. Help me to love people unconditionally and, and reach out and try my best with people when I'm with them. You know, embrace them. Not necessarily grab them and cuddle them all the time, but just embrace them in the sense of, you know, just to, just to uh, express your affection towards them. Uh, forgiving one another, and this is the important one, forgiving one another readily and freely. Readily and freely. Just forgive. You know, it's wise if we overlook an insult. It's wise. A wise man can overlook an insult. And I'm, I'm always praying, God, help me to overlook insults. Because I get plenty of them. You know, help me to overlook that. And now it's, it's you know, he, he's given me the ability, just at least online, you know, with people who send in some really slanderous messages to me, I just go, thank you very much for your message. You know, God bless you. I can see you have some frustrations, some issues. Hope I can help you out with that, you know. But, you know, trying to be forgiving and not take offence. Amen? Just as Christ forgave you. How much slander and insult and abuse did Jesus cop when he went to the cross? And after all of those slanders and insults, he was bashed around and, and, and nailed up to the cross and abused when he's hanging there by all the passerbyers. They were just shaking their fists at him, probably throwing stones at him and stuff. After all of that, and Jesus having the power to have just, you know, uh, summoned legions of angels to come into his defence and just destroy everybody and all these abusers, which is probably what I would have done if it was me in that situation. If I had that power, God, send the angels now. <laughs> this guy really abused me then. Fix him up. But no, Jesus didn't do that. He just said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. They're ignorant. So forgive them. That was Jesus' cry from the cross. Now, if Jesus can suffer that much... Still to this day to be insulted. Do you know what? I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I even have this prayer with God. I say, God, don't you hear what these atheists are saying about you? Don't you hear what Richard Dawkins comes and says about you? Don't you hear what all these people are saying constantly? They're on the internet so uh, rudely just cursing Christ. I'm thinking, God, I don't know how you sit up in heaven and just let this all continue to go on. He's so patient. He's so loving. He's so forgiving. He's just patiently waiting for them to come to their senses because he knows they're just ignorant. 
He wants them to come to his senses because if I was God, man, I would have been down here, you know, not long after I'd left the earth. <laughs> I'll fix you lot up if you think that about me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he didn't. And he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. That's what the Bible says. He's patient, forgiving, loving, and not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to salvation. Amen. What a God we have. And we've got to take a leaf out of his book, maybe a few of his leaves, maybe the whole lot. <laughs> take the whole book. Just run. <laughs> Don't run. Walk in him. Yeah, but take the whole book and become as God in Christ forgave you, so we should forgive everyone else. Paul sums up this section with a trump card. Forgive one another readily and freely, just as God forgave us, and by doing this we are able to overcome every form of evil. He also elaborates that we should become useful and helpful, being kind, tender-hearted, compassionate, with understanding, with hearts full of love for one another. Just turn in to Matthew 18. Actually, we'll go to just from verse 21 because Peter... The disciple came and he probably felt a little bit like me, you know, because people do a lot of terrible things. And so Peter came to Jesus. Are we all there? Yep. Yeah. And he says this in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. So he, he asked Jesus but gives Jesus an answer as well. <laughs> Up to seven times. Oh, that seems pretty fair. I've seven <laughs> You know, I've given him six, I've got one more then. <laughs> but Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, and other translations, seven, 70 times seven. What he's basically saying is no limit, you know, exponentially amount. Because if, if you didn't then give him 77 forgive, times of forgiveness, he would say, well, what about 70 times seven? See if you can do that, and then that's 490 times of forgiveness and then he would say well 490 times 7 then big fella if you're going to forgive him that many times give me a few. it says in verse 23 therefore I love this parable therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and as he began the settlement a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him 10,000 talents now talent they say was like a year's wage and it was brought to him so this man was in deep debt. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So that's really what he deserved, everything to be stripped from him. And even his life would be stripped from him because there would be nothing left. But the servant fell on his knees and begged him, uh, be patient with me and I will repay everything. But the servant's master took pity on him because he knows he'll never repay the debt. The debt's way beyond him. So what did he do? He cancelled the debt and let him go. Now, what's that uh, an analogy of? Forgiveness of sin. It's our forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ. Oh, don't shut it yet. It's not finished, guys. You guys are so quick to shut your Bibles. He cancelled the debt and let him go. That's the same as us. We have that. We have debts so far outweigh our ability to pay them, our sins, that Jesus is. It, the only way he can forgive us is just to wipe them clean as if they don't exist because we can't repay this debt. But one, when that servant went out, he found, him, found one of his fellow servants who he owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and he began to choke him, pay back what you owe me. So that's the servant who had just had all his sins forgiven. Then he went out and he started beating someone up who owed him just a 100 denarii, which is really a small amount in comparison. 
And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But rather than show the grace that his master showed him, what did he say? He says, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in the prison until he could pay the debt back. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. So now the master, or in this analogy, God now knows that this guy went out, even though he was forgiven everything, he went out and he didn't forgive this other guy for a far lesser offence. And says, then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. So in a sense, he was thrown into the prison where he will never. Because you can't earn enough money in prison to pay back a debt. You know, you'll never pay a debt back in prison. If you, owe, if you owe someone a million bucks and they say, well, get in the prison until you can pay it back, how? Who pays back a million dollars from prison? You don't get paid in prison. You pay your penalty in prison, you know what I mean? So it's no hope. This is this. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you. This is the warning. This is how your Heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgive those that have sinned against you from your heart because the sin that you hold them to, the sin that they've committed against you, that you hold against them, is far less than our sins to God. And God's forgiven us all of our sins so we should forgive others. Amen? That makes sense, doesn't it? Some Christians think this is the conclusion that if I teach these guidelines to the Christian life as, I la- as laid down by Paul that I'm proclaiming legalism. As I said earlier, they say that we are saved by grace and not works and that I'm advocating a works-based salvation. However, why does Jesus, Paul, Peter, John and James exhort believers to such levels of holiness if it does not weigh heavily upon our salvation? Our following the, uh, these rules and guidelines set in the Bible are, are for our benefit. They're evidences that we're Christian and therefore our growth as Christians. Amen. Yes. It's not a works-based salvation, but these are evidences that we are in fact in Christ. So I have two answers to them. If we are truly saved, we will walk in the Spirit, and the fruit of that would be resisting all forms of evil. And secondly, if the apostles never taught us what to avoid, then we would not know what to avoid. Would we? It's pretty obvious. So, And therefore, we would find ourselves sinning all the more and grieving the Holy Spirit. Amen. So they're there for our benefit. So I hope this has been a help to you guys. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this time now. And the sermon went on longer than I expected. But, Lord, I just thank you that uh, uh, for the words that you've given us in the Scriptures to help us uh, to know and discern right from wrong. It's pretty clear. The Scriptures tell us what's right and the Scriptures tell us what's wrong. And uh, all we have to do is uh, abide by that. And uh, then we will be guaranteed to live the holy life. And that uh, if we know what to avoid, then we will uh, avoid them. So help us, Lord, to live by this, walk this out, and uh, that our Christian life will flourish and, and grow as a result. And that will become more and more useful for you. Uh, while we live on this earth and that many people will come to know you as a result of the holiness and the, and the attitude with which we hold and the unconditional love and forgiveness that we show to so many. So help this to outwork in us and do a deep work of transformation in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Billy.
Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.